Hey there, guys. Welcome to episode 7 of the I Hate Infinite Jest podcast. How are you guys doing? I hope the world's good to you. I hope everyone is healthy and safe and fighting the power. What power? Fighting the powers that be. My name is Jesse Dram. I'm the host of the I Hate Infinite Jazz Podcast. Before we go too far, I said I would be recording a new theme song this week, and I did not get around to it, but uh, I made something else instead. So why don't we give this a try right here? It's the book that's called Infinite Jazz. People say it's great, but they're not right. Written by David Foster Wallace. You know you won't finish your first try. No relatability to find. Infinite Jazz, tennis and drugs and rambling all night. Infinite Jazz, whether the great is concave or convex. Infinite Jazz, see footnote 304 for more context. Psoriasis faces in huge rhymes of skin, paralytic hydrocephaly and such and such and such, and other spooky stuff. You know, I don't know for sure. That might be the first time that Motley Crue and David Foster Wallace ever crossed each other's paths, and I'm glad to get us there. That's not the permanent one. I think I, I might just fuck around and make a quick little song parody every week until I can actually put note to pen to piano and figure something out. Our guest this way way our guest this week is Kevin Hufe from the Lil Saint Podcast Island or Lil Saint Island Podcast. Look Look at the description. It's it's in there. He hosts that with Katu King, what you might remember some episode three. Again, this is episode 7. This week we are doing pages 181 to 211. Last week we talked a lot about James Incandenza Sr. drunken soliloquy to James Jr. about uh, being a great man and the fear of just dying and leaving a headstone that says, Here lies a promising old man who never took the shot, never shot his shot, and never became anything great. That was a great chapter, my favorite chapter so far since I've read this book. Guys, this week, if you are a big fan of the book, you might not like me very soon. I, ooh, I'm sorry, the entire concept of uh, Madame Psychosis, and not only that, but the, the show that precedes her, the legends that were, are just... Uh, they're they're dumb. They are they are dumb, made up things so far removed from reality that I think you really need to be trying hard to convince yourself that you're reading something great or interesting. Um, we also get a whole list here of uh, things you learn in drug rehab. Yeah, uh, as somebody who comes from a long line of addicts and a town where, believe me, the census has determined 90% are addicts, you gotta admit, I took a little bit of offense to, uh, you know, how David Foster Wallace kind of treats these, you know, the people at the tennis academy who are like him, you know, young children of privilege who are trying to do their best to make something, but they're full of insecurities 
And then to see the way he treats these addicts who are clearly not of the same, you know, social stock. And to just treat their hor- they're fi- they're fictional, but they're close enough. And to treat their horrible, shitty lives as, like, whimsical dandelions to be plucked from a field of misery and said, uh, Isn't this interesting? I'm going to put this in my book one day. And everyone will think I'm smart. Anyway, you go back to not having custody of your children, heroin-addicted prostitute. I'm glad I took your story, and I can go make a dollar, and I can come off whimsical as a result. Listen, I don't know how David Foster Wallace sounds like. I assume he sounded like that in that moment. So, yeah, me me and Hufei, Hufei, we did not like this chapter. Um... Next few weeks, I'm, ha- I'm having people on. Hufei has only written, read this chapter of the book. Don't worry, I was not wanting for guests. We just, I wanted to do the experiment. At this point, we've had people who've, you know, picked it up on their fourth try. And we've had people who read it the first time and loved it and read it eight times. We've had people read it. We've had people do audiobook. Well, this week, we picked somebody who was curious, really wanted to be on the podcast, and just said, okay, read this with no context. He read some summaries here and there, but yeah, we're both of the agreement that the context would not have helped. I'm right there along with him, and it did not help me much. Shoutouts this week. I know we have more. Oh, by the way, we hit our first thousand episodes. Now, this is the second podcast I've ever done. My first one was called Magical Misery Tour, where funny people... Th- yeah, Magical Misery Tour, where funny people discuss life's unfunniest things, where I would interview comedians about all the worst shit that ever happened to them. And it was a great idea. The problem is, I am not a famous comedian. So not only did people want to listen to me and my equally not famous friends, but then a more famous comedian named Ryan Sickler started the Honeydew Podcast, which was our exact concept, only uh, he, he made one tweak. He made one tweak. I'll give him that. I wish I could have thought of it. Uh talked with funny people about life's hardest things but he made the ever important tweak of getting famous people rats that close that close to a great idea and advertising and employment guys i'm still unemployed have an interview tomorrow it would be pretty great because it's 100 percent remote and i don't think i can go back to the nine to five. I have seen the light outside my prison cell and it feels nice. And I cannot imagine just going and sitting in a fucking office for eight hours a day. Oh, for a shout outs, uh, I had something backfire on me. So you may have discovered this podcast from my tweets where I have just gone through people who tweet infinite jest because despite the fact it's a 24 year old book, it's still somebody still tweets the words infinite jest roughly every five minutes in the world so i am there to jump on it and leave the same little note i leave everyone which is uh read it with us it's less painful and along with a link to the podcast well i hopped on somebody a little bit more popular than me who goes by the name uh at orgy underscore o underscore a gambin that is a g a m b e n and I dropped in on something he said in Infinite Jest. And then a second later, I noticed he had screen capped me. And it's, he did a new post that said, for your information, this is what you look like when you say Infinite Jest sucks. Pathetic. 
and then it's a zoom in of my profile picture, which is me with the cute little stars on my face. And whoo, boy, did the people pile on old Jesse Dram there for a minute. I got in and I tried to, I, I didn't apologize. I just tried to tell them, this is not the good week to do this because I genuinely hated the book this week. But to let them know that I don't hate the book per se as much as I'm trying to understand a book because I don't, I don't get its appeal still. I've had it explained to me. It's... Apples to oranges, I don't, I don't know. But after explaining, the, the guy kind of pulled back. He's like, oh, I'm so... Yeah, he, he was actually pretty cool with me dunking on him, and he was funny, because I did point out there, like, oh, you know, as a comedian, I will always take people shitting on me. And I mean, my, my old profile picture from my fucking dating site with the stars on my face, so I look non-threatening and not like the giant fucking oaf I am. Like, yeah, that's fine. I didn't realize it was a stereotype that people who hate Infinite Jest sucks have uh, little stars to their faces and red goatees, but here we are. And I think he retweeted the thing, too, so I was glad to see that. Um, I have a few others, but I, I can't get into them right now. They're all in there. Um, yeah, so that is this episode. Kevin Hufay. We really... we. We stick to the text for the most... It's not like last week where we jumped around a lot. We stick to the text for the most part here. Um, yeah, fuck it. Go check it out. Kevin Hufay. Oh, Kevin Hufay. That's H-U-F-E. Also a writer on The Hard Times and Hard Drive, which you may know as the satirical news sites. Very, very cool. Check it out. All right. Episode 7, page 181 to 211 with Kevin the Hoof. Hufay. This is Jesse the Viper Dram. Leaving you now. It's the book that's called Infinite Jest. People say it's great, but they're not right. Written by David Foster Wallace. You know you won't finish your first try. No relief. Here we are, episode seven of the I Hate Infinite Jest podcast. Joining me today, uh, comedian and hat wearer extraordinaire, Kevin J. Hufei. How you Thank doing, Hufei? I'm good. I'm hatless right now. This is the first time uh, I've seen you without a hat. It doesn't it doesn't look right. Yeah, it's also weird because it's probably the wor the worst my hair has ever looked after like <laughs> after the initial yeah, I did the initial like first time cutting my own hair, COVID haircut. And now like a few weeks later before going back to do it again, it looks bad. Yeah. It dude, feels I, bad. It feels bad on my head that it's there. Dude, I, I had hair down to my shoulders in like February and I finally gave in and chopped it off. And now I've just been inside and it's almost back to the same fucking length. I, I, I keep threatening to buzz my hair, but my, my girlfriend is Jewish and she's already said that I have an alt-right body shape. So the shaved head would really not do well on me. It's weird to say that it's the body shape that's alt-right about you. I feel like there's so many <laughs> other things... <laughs> You could describe that. Why would you as go by first. body shape? You could go with the blue eyes. You could go for the fact that you hate yeah. everything, and you're yeah, all the pale, the pale eyebrows. That's a big dude. I've been dying my eyebrows for years, and now they're like back to their ghostly color. <laughs> but no, dude, you know what it is? Is it's just I kept getting photos of myself on stage, and because I have like these white platinum blonde Ric Flair eyebrows, they just disappear in the flash. So I just I look like Uncle Fester grew his hair out. It, it, <laughs> no i get it yeah 
So uh, <laughs> you are a comedian. I met you in Philadelphia where you didn't live and now you're in New York. Instead. Yeah, yeah. I, well, I feel like we hung out at the Jersey mics a lot. I Yeah, most Jersey. Often. Yeah. Jersey's where the good comedy is down here. And then, yeah, all the... All the Fenris stuff, all the outskirt Philly shows. I feel like mm-hmm. we we were both heavy into. Oh, I'm gonna period. be at, I'm gonna be at one of Fenris's uh, comeback shows at Waynebrook. I think like July 17th or something. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, he's doing mics now in in Delaware, and like I'm like I'm tempted to just drive down. Because without like besides the fact that people would probably be pissed off that someone. <laughs> who works every day in Manhattan would drive down to <laughs> Delaware to risk that kind of infection. Oh yeah, just you're 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 just a Mongolian <laughs> chucking corpses <laughs> down ninety five. Yeah. yeah. I I just I open the room, I'm just surrounded by flies. <laughs> <laughs> you could pull like, you could wrong? pull you could pull off a pig pen. I definitely I could yeah. see you with like a, a pig pen <laughs> That's a great look. Yeah. But uh so <laughs> do you have anything to promote right now for the listeners of this podcast? Yeah, sure thing. Uh me and my friend, fellow comedian, fellow former Philadelphia area based comedian, Cat Two King. From episode podcast. three. Yeah. She yeah, she was on she was uh telling me that she was going through the comments and someone said don't ever have her on again. <laughs> uh, well, me, me and her were talking about that yeah. the other night. He specifically said, don't ever have her on again because you guys were just like... <laughs> because of the sexual tension. And we had sexual <laughs> tension. And, and it's she, funny. She was like, this is just a guy that's never talked to any girl. <laughs> yeah, like, motherfucker, we have intellectual tension, all right? That's yeah. why we just, we want to crack jokes and talk about, talk shit on this book you love. No sex yeah. involved. <laughs> also, uh, he, you know, love Cat too. She's a great friend. I don't think she's capable of creating sexual tension. <laughs> she, yeah, she, it would immediately just like delve into like anime or something. <laughs> yeah, based, se- on, based on our podcast. Se- sex. Oh. Little Saint Podcast Island, by the way, out on iTunes, Podbean, all that other shit. Little Saint Podcast Island with Catu King and Kevin Hoofy. All right, you heard it, folks. The Little Saint Island podcast with Kevin Hoofy. <laughs> also, is- yeah. Also, I write for um, Hard Times and Hard Drive, as well as uh, like this new website, Jump Kick. Cool. So go check out. Yeah, especially Jump Kick. That's like a newer one. It's like satirical, uh, like Kickstarters. And stuff like that it's fun it's been fun so oh yeah far. i've seen i've seen the kickstarter ones what what was the one you had a few weeks ago that got some attention i thought uh i had one uh, one of the more recent fun ones was um i uh oh i wanted to get a wheelchair for my dog so i'll have to remove its legs first didn't you have one that like uh the founder of the onion retweeted Oh, that was uh, that was like a while ago, like kind of before the civil unrest was outshining the virus itself. Ah. I had a I had a virus article out for hard times. It was uh, 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 too much inside bad brain all dumb now. <laughs> <laughs> it was nice, written, huh? the whole thing was written in that voice. It was pretty funny. 
Okay. Well, then it's particularly good we have you on this podcast because you are uh, you are a writer, and I yeah, will I'm immediately a published author. <laughs> a published author. Yeah. yeah. Hey, dude, I'm a published author too. I, yeah, from from I that porn wait. job I had. Yeah, the yeah the two kinds of people that can call themselves published authors that'll make the kind of people that listen to this podcast grind their teeth down That's to right. powder. I hey, <laughs> I wrote twenty thousand words investigating the muscle woman fetish. All right, where the fuck is my Peabody? That's all well, I. Yeah, have to say. what's what's the investigation conclude? Guilty or not guilty? <laughs> guilty. Uh, was a was a hung jury. Let me tell you that. One. Hey, you, you, you want to know something? I found out about that. So in the muscle woman porn, it's a lot of like uh, like lifting or getting your head squoze or whatever. When I interviewed a bunch of people who were into it, you know the one thing they all had in common. They all had older sisters who had like bullied them when they were little. Oh, nice. Yeah. So then when they yeah, got older, take the power back. That's right. They wanted a big, strong woman to, you know, say, get out of my room and squeeze their heads and flick their balls. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. What, what is your literary background as far as books? What books do you typically like? I, I got to get it out there for the listeners that notice how I'm gesturing over here as if there are listeners that are actually watching. Um, yeah, you, you, this is the only chunk of this book you have ever read. You wanted to be on, you haven't read the book. You've heard about it. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. I kind of thought that would be a fun thing to do because, um, I don't know. Cause like, I didn't know a ton about this book going in. I kind of mm -hmm. knew like what the people that are like that either like or dislike this book are like, <laughs> um, For the people know, who dislike it are pretty cool. Pretty yeah. cool and big well, dicks. <laughs> yeah, so I've heard like criticisms of it, but like criticisms, I feel like are like typically for this book in particular so broad. It's like, or, or so like, um, where it's like it's about the way that he writes or the way that everything's presented. Where mm -hmm. like content, content wise, I knew absolutely nothing about this book. I didn't know if there's any kind of plot, mm -hmm. any kind of characters involved what kind of things are happening, any kind of anything regarding setting. I knew what people thought of it and what like people thought of those people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but I guess like, I don't know. Uh, and then I don't read for fun particularly often. Um, I like uh, to read like philosophical based narratives, I guess. Oh, okay. Like, like uh like siddhartha and the alchemist and that kind of shit like uh okay. zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance that kind i of... could not get through that fucking book <laughs> i don't you have to smoke a lot of weed for <laughs> uh, i i only <laughs> I just read it really it. slow I, honestly that's a book like the first time i read it it took like a year to read but i was like this is great mm. like the whole time okay because i would be because like you read a little bit you stop and then you like fucking contemplate on it and then you keep going like that kind of shit okay maybe um, maybe i'll do that one on here after i'm done infinite jest and yeah it seems like like because it's also it's weird because the way i was reading this section was to like read the section mm -hmm. where i feel like it like it might particularly benefit to slowly read this book uh -huh. it seems to be his intention is to be like slow and meandering or whatever <laughs> to an extent where it's like if you're like reading it like fast it seems like it's just like 
oh yeah check out all this bullshit all right what's going on okay. right yeah that is the i mean hey all i can tell you is is i'm reading it slow and it's not it's not working on me there is <laughs> yeah there is there is a great 350 page novel in this book that is 1100 pages that's that, that's my thought yeah and also as a fairly large book it like it's, it's deceptive it's like hard to tell exactly how long it is yeah because it's a big big print book you know mm -hmm. i don't know well, one of the things you realize as you go through it is uh, that like 150 pages are just the footnotes, so it's you'll you'll, you'll get a little closer to it. But um, so yeah. before we just get into the nitty gritty, what did you what did you think? But which, by the way, for uh, we're doing episode episode pages 181 to 211 today. Yeah. So yeah, what did you think um, of your experience as a whole? <laughs> well, like I was like it the lasting impression i guess on me would be like i get what this is all about <laughs> like i get the appeal or lack of appeal okay that like i feel that sensation that i can see that people might derive from this book because like if you could tell like if you asked me to tell you what happened in those pages i'd be like i don't know if i could tell you what happened i could tell you some scenes that were described um but it was and described in definite great detail <laughs> like yeah there's no doubting that um <laughs> there's but, no doubt that some things happened here <laughs> yeah it's like a lot of it like literally a lot of it word count and page count wise is just uh kind of like going off on that um like intentional literary device of starting every sentence the same way yeah uh he does it like a couple times with like uh like that and then describing something and mm -hmm. that and then some other he does it oh, another way he's, too. He, he's known for the weird nonsense starter of starting sentences with but so when yeah like things like that where i was just kind of like I get it. <laughs> yeah. It, it's like, it, it's, uh, uh, it could, I could see it being interpreted as like ham fisted or like intentional, mm -hmm. but also it's like a kind of thing we're also reading it critically. And I feel like it seems to be like, like it, it, it would be interesting to see what a person who also, like, who hasn't read the book and also has no preconceived notions of it whatsoever thought of the book. Mm -hmm. because it seems like like it's been so engrossed in criticism for so long that it's like well here's here's the weird thing about the criticism is a lot of the criticism isn't at the book directly most of the criticism is about who the author was as a person i'm actually on a lonely kind of island God, I didn't even mean to say Lonely Island. I'm on a little <laughs> island, as the only I'm one on to say. Boat. I'm on a boat. That's how, that's how I get from the Lonely Island to the shore. Um, I'm one of the few people that's just like, no, this is, this is bad writing. This is not a good book. And like I said, it's interesting because last week's chapter, I, I really, really enjoyed. And as much as I really enjoyed that one, I really did not enjoy this one. So let's uh, let's break into this motherfucker. What do you say? yeah okay can you uh so 
I guess, can you give me like a synopsis of what the the what led to this? I don't know. And the oh, book what, so what led to this podcast? Yeah. What no? What was going on in this book oh, <laughs> up until <God>. this point? <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> God, you piece of shit. Okay. All right. Yeah. No, no. This will okay. this will be an interesting <laughs> challenge. Okay. Here's what's happening. Uh, we're seeing a lot of the Incandenza family. The Incandenza family are mainly the boys. They are Mario and Hal, Orin, Hal, and Mario. Okay, and Orin. Yeah, yeah okay. Orin. Orin is a professional football player on the Cardinals. He's a punter. Hal is a tennis player at Enfield Tennis Academy, and he's he's a young boy. He's trying to get his life together and figure things out. And Mario is a the deformed middle brother who's just obsessed with like video stuff, but he's also known to be like the only kind-hearted person in the whole book. Uh, so they're there. Their father was like a tennis player and shit, but very late in life, he got into filmmaking and he's pretty much regarded as this avant-garde filmmaker. And mm -hmm. we keep reading in this book that there's something called the entertainment, which is essentially a video that is so enrapturing and interesting that people pretty much go into a coma when they watch it. They can't look away from it. It's so pleasing. And then once it's turned off, they die. Ooh, um, ring. Yeah. Ring, so. so, and, but that guy went and killed himself uh, uh, for some reason. There's also something about a drug rehab clinic. We meet a guy named Don Gately who accidentally kills somebody he's robbing and, Okay. It's a drug rehab, and honestly, there's not much more than that. Like, it's just just kind of okay. Yeah. yeah, there's not that's, huge that's, arcs. That's fair. Okay, because it, it's like from reading this uh, particular section, it's just like who are the characters? Because there's no right. there's no hesitation to throw around names because he also will use names in descriptions of things, mm -hmm. and he's going in like in to like infinitesimally more detail than you need to describe places and events that are happening yes. in the setting. So yes. it's like, uh, in doing so, it's like, who are the people that I had to pay attention? <laughs> yeah, no, there, there's, there's a little bit of that. It's just, a, but hey man, isn't that like real life, man, where stimulus is just coming at you. You don't know what's important. You just take it in, man. No. Yeah. But like, and there's part there's parts of this particular section that were like so heavy-handed with like that the kind of literal kind of lesson handing outing. <laughs> oh, I have something to say about I know what section okay. you're talking about, but well, all right, good example. Oh, yeah, we're going in order, I guess. Right. Yeah. Well, good example is uh, a major character in this novel is Madame Psychosis, who has been mentioned. We only meet for the first time here at page 181. So we're like a sixth of the way through the book and we are just meeting this person. Mm -hmm. um, so here's and the a introduction to her starts out with a paragraph uh, written out in a lisp. Mm -hmm. Which. Oh, God, I forgot. Or about a speech impediment, thing. which yeah. is one of the most annoying things I feel like authors can ever do. Mm -hmm. It's like find a way to write out people like not being able to speak correctly because right. it's solely like a, like a flex on their end to be able to be like, I can succinctly uh, use letters to make these sounds that people that can't talk correctly. Yeah. Like, <laughs> are, it's, are producing. It, 
Like it's it, work. It's worked so well and held up so much. Like when Mark Twain made those black people speak that way in books, like a like a <laughs> feast don't fail me now. Like yep, that's a who. Oh, so we meet. Uh, so the radio, Madame Psychosis, is a radio mm -hmm. show. The radio show scheduled right before Madame Psychosis on MIT's underground WYOI is those were the legends that formerly were. The gist of this show is that science students call in doing impressions of their own dads talking about athletic figures and legends with the conceit being that they had to do it in a cartoon voice. Uh, you know, I like that because that sounds so similar to a thing that never fucking happened anywhere. <laughs> at any People talk yeah. about how funny he is. This is part of the reason his shit always rings so hollow to me is it's so far out there as to not be relatable because it you know hey why not a show where people read their grandpa's will but they have to make chicken noises doing it how about that where's my pulitzer prize nomination for that yeah. dumb shit idea i just threw out there but yeah it, like that the the whole thing with like with all the stuff with the radio shows with like her radio show which like they describe following this this mm -hmm. one uh it's like what it seems like uh the kind of thing from like david byrne style shit mm -hmm. where it's just like oh i get it that like you lived a particularly like weird nerdy secluded life uh but then they like produce this art that projects it onto an entire world mm -hmm. and uh it makes it like not make any sense because <laughs> like it, it, that like acting like a a place it's like the kind of thing where they say like, oh, um, because it's like a, a low level radio station, nobody gives a shit really. So they'll put on whatever so it can be like quirky or, and it's like, I guess, but then like in real life, there would be a, a station manager that's just like, this is bullshit. We need to yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. do something. Like that's what it's just like, I don't know, like the shit isn't. Like the the weird nerd fairy tale aspects of a lot of this kind of cultural yeah. resonance. Well, that, that's the justification they use for the idea of the show is it's uh, these students carry deep scars of their fathers touting athletic legends the students themselves could never live up to. But that is just so fucking. Uh, can you imagine any parents ever like, oh man, why'd you have to go off and be a physicist when you could have been a third line fucking hockey defenseman? Like, it's that. That's not a fucking world. I accept that some nerds feel that way, but that's not a fucking world. And, uh. and also, like, the kind of thing of like, it's such a weird, obscure way to like release uh, parental angst. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like, there'd be like, it's like such a it's uh you could like perform actual therapy on the radio <laughs> right you could receive actual advice on the radio mm. you don't need to do this weird like like game play thing like right. it doesn't make any sense for anybody to but do it's that. it's also just annoying because there's so many real life weird things like you can't just tell me like oh this is the weird thing it does but people are huge fans of it fuck you tell me why people are fans of it because it sounds to me like some bullshit you made up and not yeah. even like i'm rallying against the concept of fiction but it like you almost see this uh i can tell you you would know this as somebody who does comedy whenever mm -hmm. like a family member's like you know Oh, I, I had a silly idea once. Maybe you could use it in your bit. I thought of a giant banana. Like, yeah. That, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that. I will 
go put that in my notes and uh, try to put something together. Yeah. I don't know. Well, even like, because I don't know, I feel like it's more similar to like when people that think that they're so funny that they don't need to do comedy will offer you advice. Yep. It's closer to that than just like the random family member mm. who thinks that they're actually being like uh, helpful. It like in like in some kind of fashion, there's the people that'll go like actually like if you were any good, you would be doing this right because uh, this is the real stuff, and that's the kind of thing where it's like these these uh these people that just kind of like tout obscurity as um as like artistic merit, where it's just like I don't know, <laughs> I don't think that that's right. Well, it's my whole thing is I I like dumb obscure shit, but like yeah. I don't. Also, de- you know it's dumb. That's why exactly. That's why it's okay because you put dumb in front of it. Yeah, <laughs> it, exactly. If you like, I like the dumbest shit ever. I fucking play Magic the Gathering on the computer all day, mm-hmm. and like, I'm I- not gonna pretend that it's like oh, actually, it's really like cool and smart and it's good for people to do it. Uh, mm-hmm. It's like no, I like it as dumb. That's fine. Like I, I, I'm a big fan of uh, Tom Waits. So he's got this, a lot of this old, like weird hipster shit, like from the fifties, only he's from the seventies and it's, you know, uh, you know, crawling on a belly, shaking like jelly and I'm getting harder than Chinese algebra. Like something about that old timiness, like it appeals to me, but I totally get that's dumb as shit yeah. in a vacuum. Whereas if you talk shit on this book, people responded like you punched their mother in the tit. Do they? <laughs> I don't, I don't know. know. That might be fresh in my head. I maybe uh, yeah, maybe on the internet, and they would probably say something literally like, "I'll punch your mother in the tit, you, do you garbage doucher?" Or I don't I, know. I, I might I'm trying to think that, of what they would even think is insulting. I might have said that because I just saw my mother today for Father's Day, and she had some. And kind you punched of, her in the tit. <laughs> she had some kind of weird art thing on her boob, and I actually said, "Like, mom, what's up with your tit?" And she's like, yeah, it's a, it's a drawing. Like, don't do that. She was in a bathing suit, by the way. <laughs> this is, look, do, my yeah. father's dead. My stepfather's dead. This is why I have to spend Father's Day with. I can't, you know. With your mom's titties. Yeah, with my mom's titties. <laughs> oh, you do. <laughs> um, Madame Psychosis does some warm-ups for her show. One of the lines she says here is frequently quoted as like uh, a genius line. The Tao that can be told is not the eternal Tao. Like, people find significance in that bullshit. Well, like they do because it's already in Tao Te Ching by Lao Tzu. Right. The like, Tao it's, that can like, be told it's a is direct not the quote. Tao. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like it's already a direct quote from a book of meditations, which is literally like a compilation of uh, wise phrases that took hundreds if not thousands of years right to get collected so it's not like a david foster wallace thing that is the reason mm-hmm. why a good um, there's a line here that like uh the pink wrinkled walls look more gynecological than anything else again like that's that's funny but there's no context or meaning to the plot doesn't add anything nothing to the character just you know just dropping shit yeah just that cool like thir- like the 13 year old boy writing something being like i'm gonna make it about pussy that's right <laughs> yep uh you what uh, uh, it, it was pussy pink <laughs> <laughs> uh 
because oh, I know a lot God. about them. Yeah. No, that that is some like that's like that's like the first yeah. paper you write in college where you're like I can write about sex shit now and I you yeah. call my mom. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. Sex isn't bad. It's actually smart. So. <laughs> Um, Madame Psychosis has in her contract that every episode must be preceded by five minutes of dead air, which again, this is a college radio station where that's done by accident and never would be done on purpose. But again, it's a mystical fake world. So who gives a shit? Yeah, no, it's, it is like, it would make sense if all this was happening. Uh, it doesn't make sense to like act like it's interesting mm-hmm. or cool. <laughs> like, uh, if it, like if anything, if they were just like if it, if everything wasn't described so, like quite so flowery, mm-hmm. it would be like a more interesting like kind of like starkly bleak uh, mm-hmm. kind of setting to delve into. But it's I I, I I feel like there is a way this could have been done interestingly, but like the whole conceit with Madame Psychosis is she just she reads shit about like medical conditions and deformities and that's it with almost like no she's just like what is it elmira or whatever she's like a radio elmira right like she's reading like shock different things to shock people and like make them feel weird or depressed or something it's like a shock jock hour but with a goth chick like <laughs> right but even <laughs> it's like if you got emo girl howard stern on the radio yeah, but like, okay, I actually, I, I have a whole long section here that I'm going to read. This is straight from Madame Psychosis. Those with saddle noses, those with atrophic limbs, and yes, chemists and pure math majors, also those with atrophic necks, sclerodema adulturum, them that seep, the serodermatotic, come one, come all, the circular says, the hydrocephalic, the tibesin and cachetic and anorexic, God forbid all three. Maranamat syndrome, you say. Come on down, the psoriatic. Blessed are the poor in body, for they, those with hypercephaly, forced to carry superior craniums in the literal sense, rather than the comforting metaphorical. Those with Marfan syndrome, double-jointed and double-smoked, with time-bomb anoratic heart chambers, prepared to pop like a Mexican child's piñata, should the fiesta fest too far. Yeah, I made up about half of that. (laughs) <laughs> this is a well-beloved book that people jerk off to. I made up half of that bullshit right there. Could you see the line? No. Wow, it's almost like anyone can do this bullshit. Yeah, it is like it is kind of this this thing where it's like uh this book is interesting from like a pop culture perspective, mm. not as much from a fine art perspective, which is like the way that I feel like it's like argued where it's like, if you're like, Oh yeah, for like a certain time, like people found this kind of book really interesting. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. That kind of like reflect, that seems to track. It's kind of like self-aware mm-hmm. sort of. Um, well, see, that's actually one of the, f- the, the funny like, things about it is everybody says like, Oh, well, David Foster Wallace hated irony where like everybody like nobody could be sincere anymore but then i read this i'm like this seems like the most yeah it's only irony. self-referential bullshit like, yeah and it's all like i don't know as much it could be like uh i'm making a statement about uh how annoying like the intellectual bourgeoisie is in 
using unnecessarily verbose vocabulary and large words mm -hmm. to try and sound smart. But, well, but, but it, that's the problem. It, it, that's it, not... re it, re it reads a lot more like he's just doing that than yeah. making the statement. <laughs> like it definitely doesn't seem like he's making fun of this kind of person. It well, seems a lot more like he is that person. Kevin, this book is 1,100 pages, and do you know that he was furious that the fucking publisher cut 600 pages from it? Yeah, like the kind of person that like writes like this would be that. <laughs> that seems yeah. like it tracks. But like, yeah, what an asshole. <laughs> Ugh, I, have, I, I have a rant to make about this at some point. We'll get there. Well, part of it, so I don't know if you're aware of this, but you know how like uh, Scientology has like a language hypnosis kind of thing? Yeah, they yeah, do. yeah. They like do the, they, they do like new speak basically. Yeah, it, and this feels a little bit like that. Like it's supposed to lull you into some like I guess I'm just so smart it doesn't get through to me, but uh but yeah, I don't I don't get it. I don't get it. I'm not impressed by it. It's uh it's bad it's bad writing. Sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry for everybody who liked last week's episode. This is not going to be that episode. This chapter sucks. No, yeah, it's the kind of thing where you do, I did find myself tuning out often in a way where I was like, not where, not where I'm like, like consciously like, oh, this is like boring, but like, I'll be like reading it and then I'll like think for a second. I'm like, where, what was I just reading? Where even was I in this? Mm -hmm. Because there's no direction to anything. It's the kind of thing where it's like, uh, it's written like the kind of, like a person you would talk to. Mm -hmm. but you would be frustrated with talking to them. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, it's like, oh yeah, like I could totally see a person being like this. That would totally uh, like, suck. Oh, it's It'd just like, <laughs> it's just like real life in that I want this person to stop talking to me. Yeah. Yeah. Real life's pretty annoying a lot of the times. Yeah. Um, so that's all we have from Madame Psychosis right now. We have a bit about Avril Incandenza. She is the matriarch of the Incandenza boys, and her husband was the one who got the film stuff. Um, okay. How she she added to curriculum at Enfield Tennis Academy that it's the only sports academy with a truly rigorous academic angle to it. A lot of physics and mathematics, no music. Also, six terms of entertainment required. Insistent by James Candenza under the philosophy that they're being trained to be athletes and athletes are entertainers. Like, okay, that little that's a little nugget of wisdom. I'll give it there. Looking at all athletes as entertainers in one way or another. I don't know. Do you do you have any thoughts? This is again, this is just a rough. This is a rough chapter. I don't know when. No, yeah, it's like uh, I uh, <laughs> I did struggle with a lot who's saying what and what is narration mm -hmm. it was the kind of thing where i was like oh i didn't know someone was saying that when i <laughs> when i read it i just saw that like it was being described that way mm -hmm. uh and yeah it is like um it, it it just does feel weird with like so much of it being about like this like kind of like aesthetic wordplay Mm -hmm. uh, that he also tries to throw legitimate lessons into things, seemingly at least. Maybe it's like a thing with character development. Yeah. But it seems to just be like a legitimate attempt at extending uh, words of wisdom, mm -hmm. gotcha. uh, but also trying to make it playful and fun in a way that doesn't really land to me. 
No. Um, yeah. Okay. Was just double checking that real quick. Um, we have a bit about Mario was asked to leave his original school because he refused to learn to read and write. He'd much rather listen and watch, which he is more adept to. This says he listens to radio the way kids did in the 40s. Keeps the radio down to disturb his mother, who to not disturb his mother, who hates any projected conversation, not physically coming out of someone's skull. Uh, the house they live in is covered in lighting for indoor plants. Okay, these are like these are interesting character things. I yeah, when you describe when you described like the the characters themselves and talking about Mario, the whole, that whole section seemed to kind of set him up as like the good guy who's also like a weird, uh, like possibly autistic person. Right. Because they say like the way that he listens to the radio isn't at like appropriate volume for like sitting and listening to the radio. He sits like hunched over directly next to the radio so that his mom doesn't have to hear it from the other room. Cause he knows it disturbs her even though she's never asked him to do that right he just does it anyway and then it was like oh, okay that kind of mm-hmm. makes sense for setting that up see he's just he's the considerate son do you have do you have a uh, siblings yeah this is like the kind of thing where it's like <laughs> this is like an obviously like weird quirky bullied person writing themselves in as like uh more hyperbolically suffering version of themselves and also uh, a more hyperbolically innocent version of themselves. Oh yeah. No, believe me. I have a, I have a thing later on here. Part of the thing I really, really do not like about David Foster Wallace's writing is uh, he, he tends to write two ways about characters. Either they're people outside of him or they're characters made of his characteristics. But like, the people who are all made up of him are all like they're they're like overly what not only are they sympathetic but they're like overly nuanced they're all anxious and shrugging and obsessively thinking but then there's other people like he gets to when he talks about the drug addicts here where it's he clearly like does not give a shit about them like uh they have tattoos yeah they're they're categorized and labeled and then like sent off to to like lay with the rest of them. <laughs> like, exactly yeah no, I have a thing coming on that. Um, we get a little detail here, and I'll let you in on this because I don't think it comes up to the next chapter. Uh, Madame Psychosis's voice is familiar to Mario, the way certain childhood smells are. What we're going to find out is Madame Psychosis is uh, the star of uh, the entertainment that that his father had made. That That's the infinitely thing, the thing oh. that people watch and go into a coma. She is the star of. And she also had a long affair with Mario's older brother. So Mario recognizes the voice, doesn't pin it as her. So there's there's intrigue coming. There's some yeah. stuff here. Um, oh, God. What did you think of the whole section that was just breaking down the layout of... Uh, the hospital? Yeah. <laughs> that was really long. And it, yeah. <laughs> it was like, mm-hmm. what, two or three pages at least? Yep. Um, and it was like one of those things too, where I feel like it's a uh, it's a flex, like <laughs> as an author, to do to be like, oh, here's the kind of detail I can go into, and it's going to be so vivid, and like, would you uh, like? It's like, um, 
it's like an interesting way to think uh like when you're giving directions to almost do like a first person tour mm. like the way that like virtual uh like virtual tours of houses or buildings or whatever work where mm. it's almost like a like a duke nukem rail like where you just kind of go in and you see everything and then you're like oh that's there on that side blah 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 mm-hmm. but uh in written word it's far less interesting than in spoken word to me because right. it's not there's no warmth to it so no. it's uh, it's it's a very mechanical view like like this, yeah. this like this is what a security camera would see of these places and, and like not only with like not only is he going into like uh, insane detail on like how you traverse this campus, uh-huh. he's like going. He you, tries to use like in-depth referential metaphors to describe individual places mm-hmm. within that, where it's just like this is unnecessary. Right. <laughs> like so. the first part was unnecessary. You don't need to expound even further. And we see that this is like what you're doing. Like you mm-hmm. don't, it's not subtle in any real like capacity. Yeah. So we have, there's the multiple houses that are on the same complex as Ennett house recovery. Uh, house number one, people come out stressed and agitated more so than they entered. Number two, people tend to leave deeply changed, peaceful and slightly glazed over. We find out that unit number two is a methadone clinic and Don Gately, who uh, becomes a major character, once pulled a prank by putting a sign on the methadone clinic saying it had been shut down by the state, awoke the next day to manically distressed ex-junkies who couldn't get their medicine, who were having immediate psychological withdrawal despite only a moment's hint at a long period of suffering. They smashed the windows and broke in looking for the stuff. I mean, hey, that's a, that's a picture. That's just yeah. something. Yeah, this whole like this whole section also it's like he's trying to describe the state of like mental health care and how it's viewed as like societally um through the psych commentary on and then like he proceeds to do the same thing with like tattoos as the metaphor this time like after that um and it is just kind of like I don't really understand why. I don't, <laughs> I don't know why you're trying to have lessons in this and also have it kind of be like this intellectual masturbation type. Yeah. Why why text. be like why be like every other author that can, you know, write an engaging story and then drop in bits of wisdom that are related to that story? Like I guess like an equivalent would be like if there was a comedian that was like constantly murdering on stage, like they're mm-hmm. killing like uh, the audience is absolutely loving it. And then they transition into like being extremely sanctimony. <laughs> right. For small portions of their sets and then trying to go back into like awesome material. <laughs> like don't try and do both of those things at the same time. Oh, well, that's that's a big reason why in comedy, the, the comics who are successful but sanctimonious are universally decried as really not being all that funny. So. Yeah. Like you can pick one or the other. They're, they're yeah, both. it's two different things. Like, yeah. Uh, okay. Number three is unoccupied, but there's construction in there all the time. Number four is mostly Alzheimer's patients with VA pensions. We get. Pardon me. Number five is for the catatonics, referred to as the shed. We have a big ass footnote here. Number sixty-seven. Did you read the footnote? No, I didn't read any footnotes. You have to read the footnotes, Kevin. 
No. Ah, that's okay. The, the same, the same T.S. Eliot. I can still understand what he's saying. Like, <laughs> I don't need to go through all this. Um, in the footnote, they say that the guards at the catatonic refer to it as the shed because the vegetative and the vegetative state inhabitants seem less to live there and are more stored there. Uh, cops hang at a bar called the Unexamined Life that Hal frequents. They talk about the interesting people in the shed. One of the women in the shed is not catatonic. She is just she oh, is so, she's constantly screaming, right? Uh, well, the, I don't know if that was her, but it, it says she's so afraid of going blind that she keeps her eyes shut at all times. Because and she's so terrified of being paralyzed that she never moves. The reasoning being that as long as she can present herself from knowing for certain, there is hope she isn't actually paralyzed or blind. Like that, I think is actually pretty neat because i understand anxiety where it's something like that like if you're obsessively obsessed with not being blind it's like well the way i know you know if i just keep my eyes shut forever if i open my eyes then i know i'll be blind but if i'm here there's still a tiny little like tiny isthmus of safety i guess yeah yeah that's another thing where it's like okay like um it seems like you're like going to great lengths to prove this kind of point about people being afraid of more, so afraid of bad things happening that they won't do anything um, through a character with like an unrealistic type of like uh, mm -hmm. mental hang up. But I mean, I, it, it's like the kind of thing where it's like, Oh yeah it fits with this whole thing that you're doing, but like, I don't feel like the lesson, mm -hmm. the lesson seems less um, valid because of this, the way it's being presented. Right. Like, like I, I feel like you could give that backstory to like a different character's past who's gotten beyond it at this point and refer back to it and actually, you know, say something about, changing or outcoming or how people you know sink to that level instead of yeah you could develop that character put like any amount of depth into it and then it would be like actually sort of interesting but just like presenting it as like a concept like that to just leave it is just yeah. like a thing where it's like oh yeah <laughs> like look how smart i am but well, usually when i make these complaints in this book people tell me oh it comes up later and i haven't seen any of that yet but uh also fuck that okay yeah. i want to say i want to say this about books in general okay fuck books if, if things aren't good as they're happening it's not good it's the way books work it's the way tvs work uh tv shows work if it's not good till the end it was never good it was I mean, never good the whole time dude that was the argument i've made about this book is that like even if there's good stuff in the book, there is so much bad in it. Like it's, if it's this big, major, incredible artistic work, doesn't it say something that most people who try to read this book give up on it in frustration? The fact that it came out 24 years ago and people in our generation, we were, I was fucking 10 when this book came out. I'm 33 now. And people are still talking about how fucking hard it is to finish this book. Doesn't that not make it a bad book? Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. like, the, <laughs> I don't know. It's also like the, the there's such like this, people that think that they're smart are really annoying. 
mm-hmm. uh, to, to make like the blanket statement. Uh, and so people will find something that's like hard to consume and be like, oh, uh, there's like intellectual reasons why this is uh, uninteresting. Mm-hmm. To the point where like, that's why like, there's so many like fucking things that are like uh, ironically popular because they're like, oh, I have to find the ways to make this enjoyable. And like going through those intellectual hoops. Like what? Sat- yeah. satis- like the room or something like that. Ah. Uh, where, oh, uh, my dog just came home. Um, <laughs> hey, puppy. Yeah. Um, yeah, like that kind of thing where it's like, um, don't like jumping through all these hoops to sound, uh, intellectual or smart and how annoying that is. Well, I mean, you I know, what? no, that's uh, well, that's something I've actually come to terms with the last few years where I've actually kind of. I feel like I have embraced being intelligent a little bit, but I, I very much do that to separate myself from my humble origin. Like, you know, where I remember just talking with somebody the other day, just like, Oh yeah, no, I was surrounded by racists in my little hometown. And thank God I was born like ever so slightly more smarter than them that I could intuit my way around that bullshit. I was raised as opposed Mm -hmm. to like, you know, my stepdad's friend who, you know, proudly gives shit to, in his words, the dot heads at seven 11 all the time who are Pakistani and do not have dots on their heads and fuck that idiot. Yeah. Imagine thinking that like, that was like, uh, uh, like a universal good that you just annoyed someone at work. Exactly. Like, oh, I, 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 went, I, I went to the place of business of this man who makes sure I can conveniently get everything I need. And I say, you don't belong in this country. God damn it. And nah, I certainly showed him, didn't I? Like that would be wrong to do if he did it to the actual right people. Like if he went to <laughs> Af- Af- like if he went to the middle of Iraq to the like ISIS headquarters and mm-hmm. went up to their grocery store and started annoying the cashier there, he would still be in the wrong. Yeah. <laughs> like, what you're doing is annoying. <laughs> uh, the ISIS convenience store. What could have been, if only they'd held strong, that would have been nice and, to say. And that's like the thing with uh, talking about all this stuff where it's like it's th- th- uh, things seeming like ham fisted mm-hmm. or like, uh, like trying to like stunt on people intellectually. Uh, there's like nothing particularly like wrong with that mm-hmm. as long as you're like self-aware <laughs> and right. like humble about it. You can, you can be smart. You have to be aware that you can be stupid still. Yeah. Yeah. The smartest people in the world don't know how to carry on a conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And like uh, finding fault in some or finding fault or success in someone else's work isn't like uh in any way showing like any traits positive or negative regarding yourself. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Well, but that, that'd be the point to make right here. Bitching about this book does not make yeah, me smarter. E- equally stupid as enjoying it. Yeah. But, uh, needs more representation, I guess. So yeah. <laughs> that's important too, you know, to get both sides of the, the opinions out there. Was it, uh, that, uh, I, what you need is people that are just dumb enough to actually read the book and right. be annoyed by it. Like uh, that, that, <laughs> that, that is almost my point going into this is I wanted to finish this book just so I can say what I've been thinking this whole time is when people go off on how much they love this book, I want to be able to look at them and, you know, cite 
quotes and say, you say you love this book. I don't believe you. Yeah, because I've I have several people that don't. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah, nobody wants to go through getting all the way to the end of the book to prove that you wouldn't enjoy it all the way through to the end. Like that's not satisfying otherwise. Dude, I think the oh. first time, the first time I tried to read this book 10 years ago, I don't think I read another fiction book for a year because it put me off to it that much. <laughs> like every time, every time I start reading, a maybe piece of reading's fiction, the problem. <laughs> maybe re guys reading is dumb. Re reading's the problem. <sighs> Okay. I'm just going to go quick through this and we're going to go right to the next one. Uh, house number six is the Ennett Drug and Alcohol Recovery House. Number seven is dilapidated and out of use. It's a favorite place for Ennett people to relapse. As such, it is an immediate administrative discharge to even be caught entering. Over the hill behind number seven, people go to shortcut to local jobs and most importantly, the Ritzy Enfield Tennis Academy. That's the only important thing about that part is we find out this recovery house they're talking about and this tennis academy we've been talking about are geographically not that mm -hmm. far away from each other. Mm -hmm. So there you go. Um, <laughs> next, we go to a weight room where some of the boys are working out. Sweaty young boys. Footnote mentions a guy named Keith the Viking Freer who is insisting, he's trying to give himself the nickname the Viking which they just call him Freer, to which I have, have you ever tried to give yourself a nickname? Because I have. This whole section is really like uh, indicative of what happens when you try and have someone that has never exercised negatively <laughs> describe how people exercise and what those oh, yeah. people are like. But the fact because that he said he, he said he was spotting him on bicep curls. You don't need a spot. Yeah, for he's like curls. he's spotting him on bicep curls and like the inspirational things. He's like yelling at him. He's like, imagine that he raped your sister. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like uh, <laughs> people just like lift weights, you know, right? They don't yeah. have to be like the, the most evil cartoon jock that's ever existed. Yeah. <laughs> also, just to put out there to people, if you are over the age of 20 and you have ever referred to anybody as a jock or an alpha, like, just just fuck yourself. Damn. Yeah. I had to but, go fuck myself because I just, I just called them jocks. <laughs> ah, well, there you go. It's there fine. Go. Yeah. But uh, it, it, is, it is funny that it's in reference to jock straps, which aren't used anymore. So it's yeah. Like <laughs> um, so wait, uh, I do have a little story here of uh, I remember being a young boy and I was on a football team because I'm such an alpha jock. Yeah. Mm. No, I ended up quitting the next year because I got too fat and I went up a weight class and all the other kids were two feet taller than me. But anyway. Oh yeah, I was I was a you should join football so you can play offensive line kid. And I was like, yeah. no, I'll nah. try and I'll just try and lose weight <laughs> instead of accepting that future for myself uh, I, as like a seven year old. <laughs> yeah, you're a seven. Like they hit their heads a lot. The, well, but, just uh, like you know the kids that were like okay with that when they were that age too, and they mm -hmm. never lose weight or no. change their body shape at all they just no. are like a round kid turned into adult yeah no i i didn't <laughs> lose i didn't lose the fat until i was 18 and uh yeah. yeah oh but i remember i was like eight or nine and i was a big fan of american gladiators and one mm -hmm. of the gladiators were was called viper 
and I tried to get my coach to start calling me Viper and still the thought really makes me cr- I just imagine this guy who was probably 27 year old he was a little fat boy like hey I really I really think I'll play better if you call me Viper just like kid just fuck yeah go, no. yeah, go at home to like his roommates in, like, a con- <laughs> in a condo like fucking pounding Maddie's going uh. like yeah, the little butterball asked me to call him Viper. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't even know how to say that there's no fucking way that that's happening. <laughs> yeah. He wants to be called Viper. He's shaped more like a flounder. Just, <laughs> hey, you know what's funny, though? That could have happened because my, uh, you might know the name. My peewee hockey coach is uh, comedian Vince Valentine. He, w- he was my peewee hockey coach in Belmar. Uh, he's like he, a, yeah. I feel like I've seen the name on posters. He's so. he's a road guy. He's been around forever. But like, yeah. Funnily yeah. enough, years later, I got into this. Yeah, show. that's cool. So you never tried to force a nickname? Uh, no. I have a weird enough last name that that usually takes care true. of itself. True. Well, I know. Like, uh, if you have a, if you have a weird last name and you're hoping people will give you another nickname, <laughs> that, would, that would backfire so hard. Yeah. I think I I've referred to you as hoof a lot, but never to your face. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. Other, it's or, also or, when it's like weird enough. It's like I don't care. Uh, <laughs> people aren't, aren't gonna pronounce it right. Like it's, it's I, happened I, in my whole life. I know our mutual friend Jeff Roser is starting to get the, trying to get the name Big Jeff over. It's uh, not happening but it's not going to work because he was fat before he started doing comedy. Yeah. And it's not like he's all that tall. <laughs> yeah. <so>. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't work. Um, there's a little section I like in here where uh, a, a characters, Lyle and Raider Raider is claiming part of his trouble is he's a perfectionist and Lyle offers him a, uh, an anecdote of like, okay, Let's say you had a key ring with a hundred keys on it and you were in a building with a hundred doors and you knew behind one of those doors was the goal to like complete tennis mastery. Would you be willing to go through and do that and find that? And he says, yes. To which Lyle responds, then you're full of shit. You are willing to make mistakes. You're just saying you would accept 99% error if the 1% got you better. The paralyzed perfectionist you say you are would stand there in real life before that door, jingling the keys, afraid to try the first one. As somebody who has friends who are perfectionists and it really makes them fucking annoying, I I enjoy that little story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was... Uh, that that was another thing where it was like, um, do you think people like just do this casually, <laughs> with each, like talk this way with each other? Yeah, like it makes sense within the context of a book, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Right. Yeah, all right. Um, no, but I can get that. I can get. I can see connecting. That's the thing with this whole book, where it's like I could see connecting with individual snippets, but I don't see a particular. I don't feel the drive to like feel connected to him. Like I said, man, I hated this chapter so much. I'm just trying to put any nice thing I can <laughs> say about any part. Here comes what I consider the most offensive chapter so far. Uh, little things you learn after a lot of time at a rehab clinic. Here's some one. Yeah, that, this part's really fucked up. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say that. All right, well, I, I have a rant here. So once the government takes your kids, they can take them for any infraction at any time. 
Two, after you quit drugs, you'll have terrible acne for months as your body secretes toxins. Three, alcoholic hearts swell to twice their normal size and never shrink back down. Here's a great one. Number four, that black and Hispanic people can be as big or bigger racist than white people and then can get even more hostile and unpleasant when this realization seems to surprise you. David Foster Wallace, alt-right edgelord, all lives matter. How do you like that? Mm. Yeah, the the weirdest part about that is it's just there's no context to it coming up. It's like you're reading the rest of the book and then uh, there's just like weird part thrown in where it's like, uh, by the way, black people's penises are the same size as white people's penises. Yeah. Don't you understand? <laughs> it's, it's funny. It's funny. Yeah. Uh, I actually, I, I wrote a little parody thing here of, uh, you know, yeah, Mr. David Foster Wallace, Mr. All Lives Matter. Although if all lives are lived singularly, then what true meaning can all mean anyway? If they're ever naturally singular, never to be merged, except the temporary bond of lovemaking, which all but the most foolish Italians agree is nonsense, then to connotate all is redundant. See, I just wrote as and good. To de- and who's to determine matter? Do we trust the egghead scientists with their uh, Harvard-trained minds and their uh, well-crafted, uh, lightweight glasses that are They're... just uh, slightly askew from the end of the brow so that only the bottom half of their peripheral vision is clear, whereas the top half is as blurry as the moors of the sky. <laughs> it's almost as if the Ivy League has grown up their pant leg and has obfuscated their yeah. view. Where yeah. the fuck is our MacArthur Fellowship? That's yeah. what I want to know. We're writing just as good as this genius. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Here, uh, here comes my rant. Hufe, hope you hang in there. This is just what I've written. Here we go. Bunch of stuff about sex. That 60% of drug addicts were sexually abused and the other 40% can't remember their childhoods. That drug addicts prostitute them. Uh, oh, drug addict prostitutes find it harder to give up prostitution than drugs. That drugs become a type of god you can't live without. So, a big part of the issue I've had with this for a while, this book is class. Is uh, I can only imagine yeah. this. Yeah, well, he's like a bougie piece of shit, like through and through, and it mm-hmm. comes through heavy. It is description yeah. of addicts and. Uh, like crim like the criminal equivalent of but, mental patients dude, like- right right here just these little these little chestnuts he's throwing out there like i can only imagine this being interesting and enlightening if you were raised in the upper class and your experience with addiction is like oh i had an uncle or a father who was a functional drunk while being like the president of a company or a philosophy professor or like an aunt that had a pill habit or a friend who had like a, who got to yeah, marijuana at 18 it's an understanding of something of it like from such a distance that it's like inconsequential to your actual like happiness and well-being where you can like where they're actually like uh thinking of themselves as like objective observers mm-hmm. where they're viewing it more scientifically than people that like care a lot (laughs) would be viewing it where it's like no it's just kind of uh a like a lot of quick judgments Mm -hmm. that are not really based in fact um a lot of it 
because uh, a lot of it is like relatively interesting and mm-hmm. especially would be before like the advent of like the mental health uh I, I don't know if you would say boom but of its like acceptance in general yeah well society, no, I... and like the concepts being pr- like practice oh well that, that that's the thing dude we're only like 15 years into like you can have therapy without people thinking you're crazy and something's wrong with you. Yeah. And yeah. admitting that people who are drug addicts, like, well, there's definitely some mental shit that led to that. But like my thing here with these things he's thrown around, I can't think of any of these. I imagine people reading this book in their twenties and like, Oh, like that fucking Hunter Thompson, like he's really lived. And again, as coming from a very lower working class. I had seen all the shit by the time I was 13, which is why, I'm actually kind of offended by this chapter. I don't get offended by much. But. Yeah, and you can lump in like the kind of like blanket statements that he's making with tattoos, like that follows this, mm-hmm. with like the same kind of line of thinking because that's it's that same like judgmental, uh, like weirdly uh, like from a pedestal of holier than thou, while also like. Uh, like not actually not actually like making any kind of like succinct or interesting points where it's exactly it's like dude these are real like my personal thing i saw my sister become a fucking prostitute and a heroin addict i saw my dad get arrested three times for puberty for drunken brawls and that's why it's kind of hard for like yeah david wallace fuck you and your cute observations about you know where you actually crying about your pain can make you feel good the line he has here that it's easier he drops this in his facts i guess for everything else it's easier for low iq people to quit than high iq people oh what a fucking shocker the poor little academic boy supports the theory that makes his struggle so much harder and more valiant and glorious than the people he fucking disdains and looks at like a virus like I said it jokingly this episode, but uh, the last episode, but I meant it. A lot of people with crippling anxiety are really suffering the fear that the world is judging them as hard as they judge everybody else. Like this guy, maybe the sad truth is your insecurities were right on the fucking money that you threw out every $10 word you had, knowing it would hide the fact you had nothing to say, that you avoided celebrity, not because you were some tragically unidentifiable shyness, but you didn't want your dirty deeds known in public. I'm here to say in whatever plane of existence you're currently polluting right now that shit came out of the wash and your dirt is fucking known it's why i cannot give a fuck about david foster wallace or his struggles because it's apparent to me that he saw the struggles of people like him as epic and valiant and spirit crushing and the struggles of people like me and my family as a mind for twee whimsical footnotes on our suffering to be cashed in and where the fuck is my macarthur fellowship god damn it Because that's the shit that I was just fucking engaging, entertaining. It didn't come out as well as I thought, but whatever. Uh, Yeah, and it came from like a a place of personal experience too, rather than um, this like weird, uh, like, oh, I'm in a position of pure objective observe like observation. So that makes me. correct or like um my points more valid in any kind of way it it doesn't read to me like he gives a fuck about these people and i know a lot of people well he he was an addict like i don't (sighs) 
I you know, know, most of the worst people I've met in my life are addicts. Like, uh, it doesn't have to do with, like, being an addict. But if you're, like, a bad person uh, and you, like, are, like, confronting it, uh, like, mentally at all, uh, it'll often drive you to a state of discomfort uh, so heavy that you do have to satiate it with alcohol, where it's, like, uh, yeah, like a lot of people are in really bad situations and they suffer from things like addiction um, and their struggle with it should be, uh, or their 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 battle against it, I guess is a better term, uh, should be commended. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's not like an inherent moral high ground at all. If anything, it happens completely... Um, parallel like completely unrelated to morality whatsoever and that's like the the argument that like everyone wants to hear is that it's like no it's not a good or bad thing it's a thing that happens and has to be dealt with and in people who already have problems it's like particularly tragic but if you don't have problems it's particularly not tragic yeah like like it's just a thing that happens sorry this is the one problem you have oh yeah no some some people do actually just you know slip into addiction where like you know they just go along with peer pressure or whatever and like then their main problem is that chemical thing but it's just it's much the same way it's kind of like the pendulum swung too far like the too far before is we judged all drug addicts as inherently amoral persons so lock them up mm-hmm. for however long, keep them out of society. But now it's back to the other way where it's, oh, well, they've all been, you know, through epic suffering. You, you know, if somebody has a drug addict, they, they were probably molested. I mean, he says it right the fuck in there. Yeah, it's like, it. yeah, it comes to a thing where it's like uh, the like natural balance or stasis would be a lack of judgment rather than uh, good or bad judgment. Uh, and that's where people kind of... Uh, overstep with the intention of being more fair when it's like it's not necessarily always fair like sometimes people's uh people live out bad lives and also have problems and that doesn't make them sympathetic figures like like oh god are you are you a big punk rock fan uh yeah for the most part okay i went to a local show a few years ago and a big thing with punk bands is like they like to do little rants in between songs. And this girl who was the singer in between one song just starts randomly going off that like, you shouldn't junkie shame people. Like if people want to do heroin and they don't bother you, that's fine. Like maybe they need help, but people should be allowed to do what the fuck they want. And I just wanted to scream at this woman like, oh, you've clearly never had your sister go missing and had to call the morgue looking for her. That's what this shit sounds like, where they want to portray it like, uh, yeah or like it like it could be like one of these like crust punk kids where it's like oh, oh, yeah, clearly what? clearly you just have problems that you just don't want to address mm-hmm. so you want to not be judged for having problems but you also don't want to fix them so it's like well the the, the crust punks actually fit in very well with this entire thing we're saying about david foster wallace is i don't mm-hmm. they're out there begging for money along with all the homeless people but they have most of these people are they're vacationing in homelessness they they're going to be homeless for the summer so much like again the 
upper the upper class academic writer i you know i'm sorry if you had some addiction problems but i really don't give a fuck if you're going to be shitting on like the bikers cuz you know, you didn't have to be a fuck up. All right. Or you it, had it, a social net this entire time. And these are people who are fighting for their fucking lives. David Foster Wallace could have remained an alcoholic and a drug addict and lived for a, a very good life as opposed to these people who it was, you know, who use drugs to fucking bomb how shitty their life is. Or it's like a lot of it is like a, a similar scenario with like another really famous uh, piece of like mo- and again modern literature is uh, Kerouac's On the Road have you ever read that? Yes I have uh, a huge part of that book was that a gunshot? I don't know <laughs> it was loud okay <laughs> I can say that much it stays in uh, <laughs> um, but like a huge part of that book uh, is like the book is just uh like a road story. He's mm-hmm. like on the road, he's going on adventures. But like every so often he just asks his mom to wire him more money. <laughs> yeah. And it's like I don't think you guys understand that kind of eliminates most of the like adventurous intrigue for a lot of this book because right. it's like oh this is just a kid that like took a bunch of years off from living mm-hmm. in New York to go, to go like fuck around on like the american roads out like, there freedom the open road nothing yeah. to tie you down also knowing you can go home to a warm bed whenever <laughs> you like yeah, and yeah. just wait for dad to die like yeah suck a dick yeah uh. even even in a time before the internet you can uh like have your mom wire you money to like nebraska after you spend all your money at Mm. on pies at various diners when yeah. we were hitchhiking across the country. Like, like, my, my fucking stepdad died last year. You know what I got for my inheritance from him? A crossbow. I don't, so I'm not particularly, uh, did you hear that or did the thing pop out? Yeah, what was it? A crossbow. Oh, that's, that's pretty sick. <laughs> Listen, I'm not, I, I'm not shitting on it. I'm just saying yeah, it's, it's I didn't exactly. Gonna, you're not going to be able to pay your mortgage. <laughs> yeah, I didn't exactly go backpacking through Malaysia with that crossbow, even though I would have been you able probably to. probably could, know. yeah. That would be an easy way to get favors. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I, I almost don't even want to go through the rest of this. There's a whole thing on tattoos. Um <clears throat> let's see bruce green comes back he's mentioned earlier in the book with mildred bonk there's a porn star who has his name tattooed on his dick but only the initial show when flaccid somebody who only goes by skull who had extra unpleasant tattoos clearly intended as porcupine quills to encourage people to stay away don gately has a jailhouse blue square tattoo on his wrist uh, Okay, the only thing I'll say here, because it comes up later, is uh, Yule, who we're talking through, is very intimidated by Gately because he says Gately just stares at him, whereas Gately, in fact, just can't understand Yule and is more just waiting for him to stop talking. Yule has a whole thing like, oh, these tattoo people don't even regret their tattoos, where Gately says, well, his regret on tattoos is minimal. He has legit regrets in the form of crimes he committed while dealing and doing drugs. Good enough. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's, it would seem like Gately was just like, uh, who cares? Yeah, like, I, I have bad yeah. tattoos. Who cares? It just, yeah. 
Yeah, it's, I don't know. It's also like the 90s seems like a late period of time to be, this one of those came out, right? The 90s? 96. I think he'd been writing it since 1989. It's like a late period to be examining like, oh, why do people get like this? <laughs> like, it, it might have been like somewhat more, uh, somewhat less of like a tread territory at the time. Mm-hmm. But like, it's still relatively recent to be like, uh, why is black clothing cool? Like, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I do. I, I do feel in earlier chapters that this does kind of like stink of the grunge era a little bit. Oh yeah, and yeah, the kind of like the kind of like writings that I feel like are similar to this are very much like of that of that like at least mindset of that mm-hmm. era, like uh, the. It like has a little bit of like fight clubbiness to yeah. it, like a little bit of Pelaniuk or whatever. It reminds me. Have you ever read uh, Chuck Klosterman? Like a lot I, of I know essays. that name. I wait. What What are some he of does, his essays? Because I've read some of it. His books are like sex, drugs, and cocoa puffs, and like eating the dinosaur and stuff like that. It's like a lot of like essays that he wrote for Rolling Stone over the years that are just okay. like brief. Hmm. Uh, brief like like po- scenes in eras of pop culture. Mm-hmm. He has weird. Wa- he has a weird essay about like coaching a little league team. Okay. He he has an essay about this one guy from like the eighties in uh, that was like a particularly like cool dunker in college okay. basketball that like never made hmm. it and stuff like that. It's like a weird, just like interesting, like um, uh, I don't know, like little timestamps kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I yeah, I will say about David Foster Wallace, I've actually liked his nonfiction shit. His little essays have been, as opposed to this book where like I can't even see what people like about it in like his yeah. essays. It's like okay, this this isn't the best thing ever, but like I get this, you know? Yeah, because like a lot of what I feel like those things emphasize is like perspective and like the mm-hmm. author in particular's perspective, mm-hmm. where it's like. Uh, it seems like intentional, like the kind of thing that a guy with like very thick frame glasses uh, goes down to like sit at a coffee shop to write. Mm-hmm. But uh, at the time, like that wasn't like a widely circulated stereotype, I guess. Right. So it was less the, the, the pre the pre laptop era. It, yeah, it's hard to think of like a time period when things weren't immediately corny as shit which has been like the past 10 years of modern culture. Uh, So it's like hard to look at these things critically like that too, because it seems like it's like a criticism of criticisms of criticisms. Uh I I had my own thing. I just posted the other day. Uh, There's a weird thing where like people will say like, Oh, this book was really prescient and it predicted the future and like cell phones that like, entertainment got so much that you just couldn't avoid it you know like when you can't put down your phone and i i did this to be a dickhead the podcast is on youtube now and to promote it i put like see now it's on more screens and mediums isn't it just like infinite jest isn't it just like it like who who would have ever guessed that you know the quotient of uh, time we spend on entertainment that has been going up for a hundred years, but this one genius said, I think it'll go on another 30 years. Isn't that wise? Like, no, dude, you picked out the same thing everybody fucking noticed. It's yeah, it's, also, it's like everybody 
there's so many people guessing what the future is like all the mm -hmm. time that it's like inevitably people get certain parts of it right and they weren't necessarily uh in tune and particularly like privy to things that other people didn't know so much as that like they kind of just uh in intuitively felt like they should uh talk about this thing in particular i don't know <sighs> all right bud so that was yeah. this chunk of this fucking book. God, it, it was again. Did did you enjoy the process, or does this just seem like a fucking like? Uh, so it's like it's uh, I got mixed feelings because I felt ultimately it, it didn't seem. It wasn't hard to read, much as I didn't feel particularly driven to. Mm -hmm. where like after a while getting acclimated to his like writing style within that 30 pages of being like oh, okay this is how he writes so this is how he talks so i can like go through the flow of how he's writing i was like oh, okay now i can like actually i can get moving and read this book but i wasn't like oh this is fun <laughs> this is interesting <laughs> uh -huh. so where i was like okay it might be a thing where, like, I would have been interested if I read it from the beginning, but it doesn't seem like it. No, it's a lot of the same. If anything, I think the first chunk of the book is, like, the worst. It's only when, like, certain ideas and characters start to, like, blossom where you're like, okay, I finally have, like, a fucking anchor in this. Yeah. But what, what would you say is the thing you liked worst and the thing you liked most about this little section here? Um... I guess like the the best part I guess I would feel like is if the radio station seemed to like exist as a uh as an entire like uh, entirely separate entity from the rest of like whatever he was talking about it was described uh like and its process is described in like an interesting way it was like an oh yeah where they setting. they really get into like oh it goes up the yeah. tower and, and it was out. like oh that sounds like kind of fun or whatever mm -hmm. um once they were trying to like once it was attached to some kind of through line and needed to portray meeting or anything i did kind of is where it was starting to lose me but yeah um but like the kind of description of madam's psychosis or whatever was mm. it was like oh this is kind of like a fun little again like in that kind of like david bernie like oh this isn't like close to real but it's mm. fun where it's like almost like if there was a show that was set around it it would be fun to see what kind mm. of adventures were happening yeah. oh dude believe me I, <laughs> yeah. I i i love david lynch i like weird shit yeah but, uh, yeah I, and but, what did you say you like the least um uh i don't because i don't even want to say like writing style i feel like it's like uh more just intention in regards to it where it's like i don't think you need to i don't think you need to sound smart i think he wrote it to try and sound smart and i think that only looks bad uh and only appeals to an audience of uh generally annoying to shitty people yeah, no, dude, the, the the thing I seem to have grasped about this is the people, uh, David Foster Wallace and the people who love this book seem to be insecure about everything except their own intelligence. So they just use it like a fucking super soaker on the world. Oh, yeah. People like a lot of people 
uh, especially yourself included when I was younger, like uh, you develop your intelligence as a shield uh, because you feel more in control of that than other aspects of yourself that you don't feel as good about. Um, but it's not like a, uh, it's not like a gauge for goodness as a person, mm-hmm. like at all. So it's like, it's a thing that you should develop and make stronger, uh, while simultaneously remembering to, uh, be humble <laughs> and yeah. a good person. Uh, all right. Be humble and a good person. Be Let's humble see. and a good person. Uh, and you know, listen to Little Saint Podcast Island, please. <laughs> Little Saint Podcast Island with co-host Katu King from episode three. Hufei, thank you very much for doing this, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, Jesse. You guys have a good night. You too, man. Maybe we got to meet up at Bar 13 sometime soon. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to see you in real life soon. Let's nice. make it happen. All right. I'm going to press stop now, but we can talk for several minutes more.